Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Time now for Rocky Jordan. Not far from the Mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, Bakshish Boy. I guess it was along about five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Quite a bunch of river men had wandered up from the docks at Bulak and had kept the tambourine bar busier than usual. But finally, things got under control, so I left Chris alone at the bar and went to replenish our supply of bourbon from the cellar. I had just opened the cellar door when I heard a noise from below. I knew somebody was there ahead of me. I got down the steps just as a ragged little figure dodged back into the shadows and tried to disappear behind a barrel. Hey, come out of there. Hurry up, come on. No, no, please, Effendi. What are you doing down here? What do you want? I want nothing. I, I am not steering. Please. Then what's the idea? Who are you? You do not remember me, Jordan Bay. I'm Misa. You gave me bakshish many times. Misa? You won't find bakshish down here. No, I do not ask for bakshish. How'd you get in here? The back door was not locked. Please, let me stay. Uh, nothing doing. I don't like beggar kids sneaking around my cafe. Now, go on, who's coot? No, no, please, Jordan Bay. Your Frankie would not send me out. What are you hiding from, Misa? Why, it is just that I do not wish to beg anymore, Effendi. Then why come here? I wish to work for you, Effendi. Th- that is why I came to the tambourine. You thought you'd find me in the cellar, huh? Please, I could do many things, and I would not be in the way. I could sleep down here. Uh, nothing doing, Misa. You sleep at home. Oh, no, no, I must not go back there. I would have to go on begging if I did. Uh, why not? You seem to get your share of piastres. But begging is not good, Effendi. I wish to work like other people and someday have a fine house on the Nile. You will let me stay? Uh, the tambourine is no place for a kid. Oh, but I could sweep and wash the dishes. I am not strong, but... No, not a chance. Now come on upstairs. Jordan Bay, if I could just lie down here for a little while, I am tired. And that's not all. I think we'd better talk this over, Misa. But I told you I do not wish to... I'll save it till I take the stuff upstairs. Effendi... 
You will tell no one that I am here? Yeah, no promises. I'll be right back. Please, Effendi, do not tell anyone I'm here. I beg you, Effendi. I never saw a kid so scared. You need more than ten fingers to count the kinds of trouble a bakshish boy can get into around Cairo. Well, I knocked around a certain waterfront back in the States when I was a kid, so I knew what Misa was up against. I set the bottles down under the bar and turned to go back when I saw someone moving toward me through the smoke haze of the cafe. I kept looking. Her close-fitting red dress was a perfect setting for her jet-black hair and hat, black gloves and shoes. Only her purse didn't match. But the sound of her voice made me forget that. Rocky Jordan. You came to the right man, lady. I am Darlene Chambrun. Darlene Chambrun. Calcutta, Mr. Jordan. Oh, Calcutta. Well, let's have a drink to Calcutta, shall we? Thank you. There now. What'll it be? Please, let us not waste time. Well, uh... Oh, do not worry. I am not inclined to make trouble. Oh, neither am I, Miss Chambrun. I will agree to a reasonable deal, if you will. That all depends, don't you think? Look, I am the one to handle it, not you. Not if you are smart. Well, let's see if I'm smart, after I've heard the deal. Well, very well. We will split 70-30. I guess I don't have to ask who gets the 70. Naturally, I do. It wouldn't be fair to the other guys. It wouldn't be fair to you. Besides, what good is he now? What do you mean? He's getting out of the army. No more allotment checks. Oh, that's different. Where is he now? At the apartment, waiting for me to come back. I told him I was going shopping. I got to get back, Phil. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Well, ain't you going to do something? Well, look, give me some time, will you? I'll have to figure an angle on this guy. I'll get in touch with you tomorrow. Back in the early days of the war, Phil and Julia hit upon the racket of having Julia marry servicemen who were about to be shipped out of the country. They repeated the process three times, and with the aid of two forged birth certificates, Julia was able to get $100 a month in dependency allotments, $100 a month for each of her husbands. It was a pretty good racket for Phil and Julia, because all they had to do to collect their $300 a month was to wait for the postman to ring three times. Yes, it was a very good racket. And no one knows how long it would have gone on if the war hadn't suddenly ended. With the return of large numbers of servicemen to this country, allotment discrepancies began to turn up. Began to turn up in such alarming numbers that the Federal Bureau of Investigation was called in. That morning in the New York offices of the FBI... Oh, come on in, Lee. Okay. What's up? I've just been going over this list here. Well, tell me all of those people are wanted. No, I guess maybe most of them are here by mistake. At least, let's hope so. Well, what is the list? Suspicious allotments being paid by the Army's Office of Dependency Benefits. All of these names are in the New York area only. Well, it'll take the whole Bureau to investigate that mob. I don't care if it does. Neither does Mr. Hoover. If they're all guilty, we'll bring them all in even if they have to build a dozen new jails to hold them. How are you going to go about it? Well, first I thought we'd make a spot check on the whole list and get a percentage. Good idea. Then we'll know approximately how many of the whole mob we'll have to deal with. We'll make a uh, 5% check. Oh, sounds like enough. Suppose I take the list and have a new one made with 5% of the names. Go ahead. Now, how do you want me to pick the 5% at random? 
Just have Miss Jenkins list every 20th name. Then break that new list down by neighborhoods. Right. When they're ready, we'll go to work. It's Phil back in his office. Yeah. Thanks. Excuse me, please. Hiya, Julie. Come on in. I'm just thinking about you. Well, that's very nice of you. I thought you were going to get in touch with me. I didn't have anything to tell you. Well, I got plenty to tell you. What's the beef now? The guy is driving me nuts. All day I got to sit around and look at souvenirs. And what he said to the captain, and what the captain said to him. Okay, okay. And that ain't all. Remember that extra dough he sent home for me to save for him? That 2800 bucks? Yeah? Well, he wants it. He wants it right away. What'd you tell him? Well, I couldn't say I gave it to you. I said it was in the bank. Well, that ought to hold him for a while. Bill, he wants the dough right away. He's gonna buy a lunchroom or something. And another thing. Yeah? He wants me to go meet his folks. Where? Boston. When's he want to leave? On the midnight train tonight. Look, Phil, you got it. Wait a minute. I got an idea. Well? Tell him you'd love to meet his folks. Tell him you're going with him. Only you don't take the train. You want I should walk? Listen. Go back and tell him your brother will drive you both up. My brother? Yeah. Me. Well, he can't meet you. Why not? Well, if he was to know about us... Look, all he has to know is I'm your brother. I'll take care of the rest. What's the idea? You'll see. This guy is good for one more touch, baby. A big one. Would you like me to drive for a while? No, no, I'm okay. Phil <laughs> likes to drive. With a road like this, I don't blame him. How was the driving on the other side, Bobby? Oh, not so good. Even when we found a good road, it was full of shell holes. Guess you had kind of a rough deal, huh? Yeah, it was rugged sometimes. Bobby don't like to talk about it much, Phil. I'm getting out next month, I want to forget about the Army. Sure, sure. I can't envy you, though. It's been a great experience. I tried to enlist myself. I know, Phil. Bobby, tell me something. What? Did you guys ever think about dying? Phil! Just asking a question. We've thought about it plenty of times. Well, you have insurance, don't you? Oh, sure. GI insurance. I got $10,000 worth. That don't help much if you stop a bullet, of course, but at least I know Julie'd be okay. That was very sweet of you, Bobby. Well, can you keep that insurance up? Yeah, sure. I'm keeping mine. Just for me, Bobby? <laughs> Just for you. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. What's the matter? Oh, that left rear tire feels a little flat. Wait till I take a look at it. Oh. You need a light? No, I got a flash right here. Yeah, it's going flat. Guess I'll have to change it. Can I give you a hand? Yeah, okay. Get the jack and the lug wrench from the back there, will you? Sure. It's open. Just lift it up and reach in. All right. Can I help, Phil? No, no. Just stay put. 
Here they are. You want to set that jack under that? Yeah, sure. How about here? That's fine. Phil? Phil, what happened? What do you think? Oh. Now I'm an heiress. momentarily close the Equitable Society's presentation of the FBI file on the allotment swindle. We will return to this case in just a moment. One of the most meaningful words in the English language is security. According to the dictionary, it means freedom from fear, anxiety, or care. Freedom from doubt or uncertainty. To one man, security calls up a picture of a little house which he owns free and clear so that no one can ever take it away from him. Another man thinks of protection against the hazards of illness and accident. A third sees himself receiving a regular monthly check during his old age. A fourth wants to be sure that no matter what happens to him, his children will get a good education and his wife will never be dependent on charity. For 86 years, men and women have been bringing these and scores of other security problems to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Now, please take particular note of that word society in the Equitable's name. Society means that the Equitable Society is entirely owned by its members, that is to say, by its policyholders. In other words, all the officers and employees of the Equitable Society, from President Parkinson down, are working for the members and are always ready to give problems their personal attention. So no matter what kind of financial security a member may seek, he can be sure that the Equitable Society will do its utmost to help him attain that freedom from fear, anxiety, or care which makes him a happier man and a better citizen. Yes, by serving its members, the Equitable Society serves America. And now back to the file on the allotment swindle. <laughs> The basic ingredient in the character of a criminal is greed. The unhealthy desire to acquire what belongs to someone else without doing any work. Phil and Julia, being well supplied with greed, had evolved a novel racket. A racket particularly well suited to the times. Julia's three illegal marriages to servicemen about to be shipped overseas, so she and Phil could defraud the government out of the allotments, was a serious enough crime. But now, with their greed out of control, they had compounded the felony. They had committed murder. Bobby's body was found the next morning and quickly identified as the body of Private Robert Chase. It was removed to the local morgue, and the death was marked down as having been committed by a hit-and-run driver. The next afternoon, in the New York office of the FBI... Can I come in, Nick? Come ahead, Lee. How have you been doing? I think I may have something. Really? Yeah. I paid a call a couple of hours ago on one of the names on our list, a Mrs. Robert Chase. Yes? Well, before I could even identify myself, she gave me a very teary greeting and went into a long spiel about her husband's insurance. Oh? It seems he was killed last night in a hit-and-run accident up in Massachusetts. I see. She evidently thought I was the insurance man. 
And when I told her who I really was, she seemed quite startled. Hmm. What's her background? According to the allotment records, she's been getting money for herself and two children. Did you check on that? Yes, I talked to several of her neighbors. They've never seen any youngsters. Why was the hus- husband killed? Near a town called Highland Mass. Lee, I think this one's worth a thorough investigation. Special Agent Price telephoned the morgue at Highland, Massachusetts and learned that the Army was claiming the body the next day to take it for burial with military honors in the Chase family plot. Because of his suspicions, Price ordered the body held for further examination. And that night, he and Special Agent Adams left for Highland. The next morning at the morgue... Here's the body, gentlemen. Poor devil. Yes. Was there anything on his uniform, Doctor? Any marks? Yes, there were some tire marks where the car... Any insurance man. Why not? We got a bump steer on a 10 G's. What do you mean? You don't get it no lump. I checked up today. You get a measly 36 bucks a month for life. Oh, that's awful. Well, that's the deal, sweetheart. And you may not even get that. Why? FBI came here for some reason, and I guarantee you it's not the one they gave you. How would they know anything was wrong? That happens to be the business they're in. Oh. What do we do? You got to blow town. Oh, fair. And fast, baby. You're getting out tonight. I can put you up at Chuck's place for a couple of months. In the country? Yep. With all them trees? Baby, it's better to look at trees than be hanging from them. Meet me at my garage at 12 o'clock tonight. Say, Nick, I've got the report on the Chase children's birth certificates. Fakes? Like a $3 bill. I thought so. Well, what do we do now? Well, one thing we've got to do is to see whether our candidate has a car. Well, who's our candidate? I wasn't here when he was nominated. A fellow named Phil Taylor. How does he fit into the picture? Well, he endorsed every one of Mrs. Chase's allotment checks. Well, who is he, a check cashier? No, he's just a petty larceny crook. Done time a couple of times, but all small stuff. Well, if he's mixed up in this, he graduated to the big leagues. Yes, if this is the man we want. What else have we got on? He paid a call on Mrs. Chase this afternoon. Well, why don't we grab Taylor? We can't prove anything against him yet. It's not against the law to cash government checks, you know. You don't look as unhappy as you should. I'm gambling on a hunch. I'm having a check now. Anything else come in from the Massachusetts police? No, not a thing, but they did enough. Price talking. Yes? Yes. Yeah, let me write down those dates. That's fine, thank you. That was Johnson down at City Hall, Lee. Yes? When Robert Chase was married, his bride gave her maiden name as Julia Prescott. That was a mistake. Why? Because two years before that, on September 11th, 1940, this same Julia Prescott was married to our suspect, Phil Taylor. Phil, I don't like this one bit. Ah, country air will do you good. Oh, sure, sure. Why don't you come along? Because I happen to have a business to take care of. Well, I ain't staying up there any two months. You can bet go on that. Look, baby, if the law nails you, two months will seem like a real short time. I've got a good mind to go back to one of my other husbands. <laughs> Stop your beefing. It's open. Hmm? You don't need no keys. The garage door is open. That's funny. Come on. 
Wait a minute. I'll put on a line. Okay. Just stay uh, where you are, both of you. Who are you guys? Mrs. Chase should remember. How does his father feel about it? Father, Effendi. We have no father or mother. Then who's Sinyak? Sinyak. He is Misa's employer. Employer? Sinyak has many Bakshish boys working for him. He tell them where to beg. They must turn over money to him. He let them have only small part. Sweet little racket. But, Effendi, I fear that recently he has forced the boys to do more than beg. Yeah. Mr. Jordan, you will find Misa for me. You will not let them harm him. Well, I'll... I'll do what I can, Tarina. Here. Maybe you can use this. Oh, mutashaki, Effendi. I left Tarina there and got out of the native quarter fast. I halfway hoped Sinyak would make a play, but he didn't. It was after closing when I got back to the tambourine. I'd gotten out the key to open the front door when I saw that wasn't necessary. The lock had already been broken. I got inside and turned on the light. The place looked like a calm scene had swept through it. I hurried back to the office. That was even worse. The search had been complete, even to the safe which swung open. The sound of footsteps was from my room upstairs, so I went up two at a time. Inside, the light was on, and a flat-nosed man in a business suit stood waiting. Before I could move again, my arms were pinned from behind. What do you want, move? Oh, did, I, did I keep you waiting? Not too long. You can save us any further search. For what? He doesn't know, Mado. Maybe I can help him remember. Give me your idea. We'll compare notes. Enough of these, Jordan. We don't want to hurt you. Maybe we do. The bigger boy came directly to the tambourine. He was seen. So don't deny it. Why should I? I thought you would be smart. Mesa's not here. We ain't looking for the kid no more. Look, you won't fool us, Jordan. Hey, wait a minute. Did you send that dame to the tambourine this afternoon? Maybe we did. I'll do the talking, Mado. Now, Jordan, turn it over and we'll get out. Turn what over? Where is it, Jordan? Ask Sinyak. Canales. He said he was Misa's father, so we went to get the boy. But Misa was gone, and Sinyak made a lot of threats. Later, I learned that Sinyak wasn't the boy's father. He was the head of a dirty begging syndicate Misa was working for. Last came a flat-nosed fellow and his muscle boy who tore up the tambourine looking for something. They ended up, I slapped me around, and I went down for the count. I was just picking myself up when I saw Misa again, standing in the doorway and looking more scared than ever. What has happened, Effendi? Oh, Misa, where have you been? I was close by. You are hurt, Jordan. I, I will get water. No, you won't get anything, Misa. But, Effendi, you said that perhaps I could work for you. Uh, not in your life. You realize you dumped me right in the middle of this trouble? I am most sorry. Sure, sure you are. Look, a guy named Sinyak came looking for you. Where'd you go? When I saw Sinyak coming, I ran away. I do not wish to work for him. Some other fellows are looking for you, including the police. Suppose I just turn you over to them, huh? No, 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 do not do that. Now, why shouldn't I? Jordan Bay, I will tell you everything. Everything I know. Well, that's better. Yeah. All right, now, Misa, let's have it. Appendi, this man Sinyak had many boys who begged for him. But he has been making us do more than that. Like what? He taught us to steal things from tourists in a crowded bazaar. I thought so. Two days ago, I, I grabbed a purse from a beautiful lady and ran. She saw me, but I got away. It was not easy. What did you do with the purse? I took it to Sinyak. He kept only the money and told me to hide the purse. Since then, Effendi, many things have happened. Things I do not understand. Like what? 
strange people are looking for me. Always they are following me. Two men were chasing me when I came here to hide. There was no place else to go. Go on. That, that is all I know. Just what did you do with that woman's purse? I hid it away with some other things. I'd like to see that purse, Misa. Come, Jordan Bay. I will take you to where it is. Misa and I went out the back way. We made sure we weren't being tailed, and I followed him through the dark, winding streets. We turned up an alley that seemed to be a hangout for half a million cats that infest Cairo at night. He opened the door to an abandoned shed. I kept my flashlight on, so we got inside. This way, Jordan Bay. It is here somewhere. Misa lifted a board from the floor, and I played the light inside. If it hadn't been so serious, I'd have laughed. It was the usual pile of useless junk that any young boy treasures. Misa scratched around and pulled out a red purse from underneath. This is the one. Oh, here. Hold the light, Misa. Have a look. Yes, Sir Henry. Uh, you're sure everything's here? Everything but the money, I'm sure. Mm, lipstick, compact, mirror, handkerchief. Nothing else but this envelope. Do you see anything? No. Uh, turn the light on this envelope. What does the writing say? Uh, Shepherd Hotel stationery. Addressed to Darlene Chambon. You know her, Fendi? Yeah. Darlene Chambon, 46 Rue de la Marcale, Paris, France. All stamped and ready to mail. Will you read the letter? Let's see, why not? It isn't sealed. Hmm. There is no writing, Effendi. Oh, just a blank sheet of paper. But wh why would one wish to mail a letter with no writing? Well, answer that one, Misa, and you might explain a lot of things. Yeah, put the stuff back in the purse. I'm taking it with me. Yes, Effendi. But what shall I do? Nothing. Not till you hear from me. Just lay low and keep away from the tambourine. I had a hunch the self-addressed envelope held the answer. I sized up the three possible links. Darlene, the man with the flat nose, and Sinyak. If I knew people, Sinyak was the weakest link. Misa told me where Sinyak lived, and I went out hunting. I found his room up over a curio shop in the Khan El Khalil Bazaar. There was no answer to my knock, so I tried the door. It opened. I found the light switch and moved in. Well, the search was still on. The room had received the same treatment as my room at the tambourine an hour before. It was wrecked, drawers empty, clothes torn to bits. I stopped at the bed. Sinyak hadn't been treated as gently as I was. He was crumbled, and his face wasn't a pretty sight. That happens to a man when he's strangled. I still didn't know what Mesa had grabbed with the purse, but it wasn't peanuts. So after tipping off the police, I hung up quick. I wasn't ready to tell him any more. I caught a taxi and was off to see link number two at the Shepherd Hotel. Darlene Chambron was registered there, but she wasn't in her room, so I scouted the lobby and then the cocktail lounge. She was there, seated alone at a table. I invited myself over. Your order, madam? Bring me a ducky, please. Uh, make it two, waiter. What? Mr. Jordan. Didn't expect me, darling? Well, I... Why did you come here? Oh, doing the town, you might say. I just dropped in on Sinyak. Sinyak? He didn't talk much. He was dead. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. Who is this Sinyak? You don't know? I do not. Well, my mistake this time. Now we are even. Is that all? Well, not quite. I'm still interested in that deal you came to the tambourine about this afternoon. I told you that was a mistake, so forget about it. Okay, we'll forget about it. Your drinks, monsieur and madame? No. Here, here you are. Thank you, monsieur. Well, darling, to Calcutta. To Calcutta. 
Say, I uh, like that red dress you're wearing. Well, you sound almost human for a change. What else do you like? The black hat, gloves. You know, there's just one thing lacking. Yes? A red patent leather purse. Zipper type. Mr. Jordan, you do have it. Yeah, including an envelope stamped and addressed to Darlene Chambrun of Paris. But no writing inside. Where is it? It belongs to me, Mr. Jordan. I must have it. Well, then the deal's on again. Why did you not tell me this at the tambourine? I didn't have it then. Misa just gave it to me. Misa? Yeah, the beggar boy. You mean the one who stole the purse from me in the bazaar? Uh-huh. Ever since then, he's been running from you and a guy with a flat nose and Sinyak and the police and everyone else. Why? He's been robbing people. Come on, darling. Just what's so valuable about an envelope without a letter? That's my business. Now give it to me. Oh, I'm sorry. I left it in my other coat. Very well. Bring it You are listening to Bakshish Boy. Tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Street with No Name, starring Mark Stevens, Richard Widmark, and Lloyd Nolan, will be presented by CBS Radio Theater Monday night at 6. This exciting story broke box office records when shown on the screen. So don't miss the radio adaptation tomorrow, Monday night at 6, over your local CBS station. And following Radio Theater, you'll want to stay tuned to CBS for My Friend Irma and another laugh-filled half hour with Irma, Jane Stacy, Professor Kropotkin... And, of course, Irma's boyfriend, Al. That's Monday night at 7. And now we take you back to Cairo and Rocky Jordan for tonight's adventure, Bakshish Boy. I waited in front of the bank just long enough to see Sergeant Greco take my two followers and little Misa away. Then I got to a payphone and put in a call to Captain Sabaya, Cairo Police. Sabaya, speaking. Hello, Sam. This is Rocky. Jordan, unless you have a good reason for calling at this time of hey, night... Hey, listen. I... Sergeant Greco's on his way down there with a flat-nosed guy in his hood. And how, how does this concern you? The two guys were shooting at me. Why? I don't know exactly. They wrecked my tambourine a couple hours ago, too. So? And why did you not report this wrecking of your cafe? Listen, Sam, hold those guys. They may be tied up in the murder of Sinyak. Sir, Jordan, it was you who reported Sinyak's murder. Yeah, that's right, Sam. I should have known. You had a reason for not giving your name. Tell me what this is all about, Jordan. That's what I'm trying to find out. You are trying to find out. Uh, are you not aware that there are police in Cairo for that purpose? Watch the blood pressure, Sam. I'll get down there as soon as I can. You... Me? Oh, I'm still at the tambourine. Only someday I'm going to learn to keep that back door locked. It's CBS again at this same time next week for another story of adventure and intrigue when we take you back to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. Jack Moyles plays the title role with tonight's story by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman. Rocky Jordan is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music by Milton Charles. 
Larry Thor speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.